give a shout of praise to God and just thank Him today. Thank Him today. Thank Him for grace. Amen. Just thinking as we were singing about, about standing, you realize the reason that we can stand and declare the praises, in the, the praises of God in the presence of God is, is only by the grace of Jesus. It's not because you jump through a certain amount of religious hoops. It's not because you did great things. It's not because of who you are or who your mama is or who your daddy is. It's not because of what your job is or what your status is or how many friends you have on Facebook. The only thing that allows us to stand is in the grace of Jesus. I was thinking uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says, even though Jesus was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he gave up his divine privileges and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, so that, so that we might be saved. And the Bible says later that, that he, after he rose from the dead, that, that he was exalted to the highest place and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. So, so Jesus is seated, and now that he's seated in authority, that means we can stand in freedom. We can stand in power. We can stand in truth. We can stand in life. We can stand in joy. We can stand and proclaim the greatness of our God. So that's, that's some reason to get excited. I hope, you're, I hope you're feeling just the grace of God rushing into your heart today. I do want to welcome everybody in at our East Campus and West Campus. Welcome everybody to the Valley Campus. Man, I'm just so glad to be here. Let's just pray. Let's just ask God that his grace would root deeper in our hearts today. That's the simple answer of transformation. It's not that you need to come and hear something that's going to get you to jerry-rig your life. It's that you need to allow the grace of Jesus to root deeper in your heart. And that as that happens, it begins to transform things in your life. And so, Father, thank you today. It's by grace that we have been saved. It's by grace that we are being saved right now. And it's by grace that we will be saved forever and ever and ever. And so, God, it sounds like your grace is a good thing. It sounds like we have reason to celebrate. It sounds like we have reason to lift our heads and be optimistic and realize that our best days are in front of us because of your grace. And so today we don't stand before you, Jesus. We realize we stand in humility, but in the, the strength that comes through humbling ourselves and calling on, on the name of Jesus. And so, God, we stand in strength. We stand in power. We stand in life. We stand in truth. We stand in hope. We stand in patience and perseverance and kindness and gentleness and self-control. We stand in freedom today because of your grace. And so, Jesus, we give you all the glory. And it's Jesus we want to hear from today. So, Father, we ask that as your word is open today, would you speak to our open hearts, God. And we pray for grace of open hearts. Would you open the eyes of our hearts today that we could see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. And that, God, as your word enters into us, Lord, it brings life where there was no life. And so, Father, would you do that, we pray, at all of our locations. And everybody said, amen. amen. It is good to be together uh, happy New Brunswick Day, everybody. Happy New Brunswick Day. Happy New Brunswick Day weekend. Before you sit down, I want you to do something. I want you to turn to two or three people, and I want you to tell them your top two favorite things about New Brunswick. Halifax isn't tuning in today, so this is just a New Brunswick-only service. So tell your two favorite things about New Brunswick, and meet a couple people, and then you can go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead. Awesome. 
my two favorite things about New Brunswick would have to be number one, uh, no, number two, let me go number two, geography. I, I love where we live. It is beautiful. I have traveled and there are beautiful places to see, but when I see and I, and I visit other places, I'm just reminded we got it real good here. Uh, it's not on fire. We don't have earthquakes. It's beautiful. This is an amazing place to live. Can I get an amen? Uh, my, my number one favorite thing and the most beautiful thing in the province of New Brunswick has a name, and it's Melanie Ingersoll. And if you want to see uh, the most beautiful, oh, I'm trying to be happy at home, people. Uh, no, it's my, my lovely wife, if you're wondering. Uh, I just want to real quick, before I announce our, our preacher, uh, I, before I introduce our preacher, I just want to give a few things, a few FYIs. I know I've been traveling some and not been here, and some of you have been in and out, so you're wondering what's going on at the church and, and the things that are happening. So really quick, before we jump into the word, if you want to just actually pause the countdown, now you all know there's a countdown. I'm not chewing into Don's time, so I don't want to do five minutes of announcements and Pastor Don gets up here and has 14 minutes left for a sermon. So... But uh, a few things I really want you to, to know about, uh, as you've probably put together, I'm not bringing the word this weekend. However, uh, you're in for a real treat. Pastor Don Ingersoll is with us. I'm going to get him up here in just a minute. Uh, next week, everyone say next week. Next, there's like four people that said next week. Don't bring that New Brunswick Day long weekend attitude into here right now. Everyone say next week. Yeah, there you go. All right, Valley Campus. I'm trusting the East and West are with me too. Next week, I'm starting a brand new series, and I am excited. I, uh, I have not been so charged up about a series, maybe because I've not been so charged up, like, in my life in a while. Uh, but uh, I am really excited about our new series that starts next week called Turn the Key. And we're going to be looking at the, the, the ways that we need to adopt or things that we need to do or embrace that actually allow us to engage or access the power and the resource and the riches that God has for us in this life. Uh, the promises of Jesus are staggering. You start to hear what he says. He says we'll bear much fruit, that we'll do even greater things. Uh, the psalmist says that, that we're like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, who bears its fruit. In all they do, they prosper. And, and the question is, what are we not doing or what do we need to do uh, to access the great things that God has for us. I believe God has great things for us. Anybody else? And so we're going to look at different keys each week. Turn the key. We're going to look at different keys that give us access to the joy and power and, and, and perseverance and all the stuff of the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm really excited about it. I've been really blessed as I've been preparing. So that starts next week. Uh, really quick, though, there are things that are happening every week still. If you haven't been to a Wednesday night burn, make sure you come to a Wednesday night burn service. They happen at the Valley Campus. You guys at East and West, come on out uh, and be part of this. It's at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights at the Valley Campus. They were just getting after God and fanning the flame uh, of the presence of God in our church. So you want to come out to that. I, I mentioned that. I did a Facebook video about that last week and Pastor Adam Brewer got really mad that I, I pushed that and didn't push Celebrate Recovery. So let me push Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery happens every Tuesday night. It's an amazing ministry led by uh, Julie and Adam Brewer and uh, amazing things are happening there every week. So if you want to come out, that's at the Valley Campus as well on Tuesday nights. Uh, it's an amazing thing. You're probably wondering, why is this dude wearing a backpack? Good question. The reason I'm wearing a backpack is because we're about to do our Every Child initiative. I don't know if you know what that is, but the last couple years we have uh, gotten five, six, seven hundred backpacks and filled them with school supplies and given them uh, to, to children in the city of St. John and specifically in some areas where they're going to need a little more help than others. And so we're doing that again this year. We've got 700 of these backpacks to fill. How awesome is that? And uh, so we're going to do that. It's happening. 
Uh, it's happening on August 29th, but we need your help. We have all the backpacks already here. It's already been paid for, already been blessed. God has just done an amazing work to get us these backpacks. We have 700 backpacks, but we need some school supplies. Uh, Pastor Kerry put, said all the supplies I'm asking for today are in the, are in the backpack. So we're looking for uh, crayons, pencil crayons, uh, markers, and we're looking for good old-fashioned, I think those are wax, like good old-fashioned wax crayons. So if you can help us with that, bring them to a service next weekend, bring them into uh, the Valley Campus through the week, bring them to East-West on the weekend, and you can help us fill 700 backpacks. Amen? You going to do that? Okay, that would be awesome. Uh, and that's happening August 29th. We're going to put on a big thing. So if you want to get involved, uh, stop at the red tent and let us know that you'd like to be part of that night. It's going to be great. And then uh, just heads up, we're going to be doing Love Week in September this year. Anybody know what Love Week is? Awesome. I feel like I feel like this this valley crowd. I don't know what you like at East and West, but there's like a there's like a two second delay on everything I'm saying. It's like you ever get in a golf cart and you put the hammer down, it doesn't turn on at first, and then it goes. Like that's what that's what this feels like. So, Pastor Don, I'm gonna get them ready and responsive for you. That's my job. But Love Week is happening uh, here in September, so get ready for that. We're excited about moving it to September. We're gonna be able to do a few more things together. Okay, I think you're all caught up, excited for August. You know why? You know there's another reason I'm really excited, and that is because Pastor Don Ingersoll is beginning his journey, his second tenure here at King's Church uh, with us. For those of you who don't, don't know who Don Ingersoll is, he was our pastor for 18 years. You might have been here back uh, early in the summer, maybe late spring when he spoke, and uh, we were so blessed by that. And he's here with us today. And he is beginning his time with us, uh, overseeing our discipleship and community and spiritual development ministry. And I'll tell you what, he's one of my favorite preachers in the world. He also happens to be my uncle. And I am excited uh, just for this next season. I told him earlier, we were praying, and I said, uh, you know what, you're, you're not the senior pastor, but you're probably more of a senior pastor than you've ever been because you've got some miles and this is a new season and you are the most senior pastor on our team now. And I'm just, I was just praying and just agreeing with God that we need his voice in our, in our midst and that uh, God wants to say some specific things through him. So if you could help me by giving the warmest welcome that he has ever had uh, here at King's Church, would you just let him know that we are so glad to have him here and he's going to bring the word to us. Welcome, Pastor Don Ingersoll. Hey everybody, glad that you're here uh, today, and uh, I've, Pastor Brent's had a couple weeks off. I've been hanging around for five weeks now, doing pretty well nothing, and loving every minute of it, but can't wait to uh, get digging into what's going on here. I so, feel so blessed to be, to be back and looking forward to partnering with Pastor Greg and getting into community life around here. You know, there's the mystery of creation, and there's the the mystery of the incarnation and there's the mystery of the trinity and you can keep listing all those things but for me the mystery of the body almost tops it all you know that christ could continue to do what he does through all of us together corinthians says now you are the body of christ and every one of you is a part of it and uh, to be able to dig back in here and and uh, and be a part of that that reality that happens it happens in every church is some better than others but, uh, boy, if you miss that, you, you are missing one of the most amazing things of, of being a part of what God is doing in the world, just what he does in us together. And so I can't wait to be a part of it. I snuck into uh, King's West, Pastor Adam's first Sunday. I was there and uh, with, with uh, Seth as well. And then last week I snuck into 
East and the John boys were there doing their thing and it was awesome just to catch the vibe of what's going on and great to be here tonight. Some of you would recognize the name David Crabtree. He was a pastor here in the city of St. John. He kind of, uh, he and his wife were like 30, 40 years ahead of their time in their, in their ministry strategies and what they did and God blessed his work here. And he had a great influence on me. He told, I, I, I remember so many stories that he told, but uh, probably the best is him telling about the time that they were traveling down in uh, Arizona or somewhere, he and his wife, and they were on this long trip driving through the desert. I don't know whether you've had the chance to do that, but like it just kind of goes on and on and on. And here the landscape kind of closes you in, but out there, like you can just see in every direction for miles and miles and miles. And you're almost praying that the car doesn't break down or the air conditioning doesn't quit. So they're traveling along and he's been driving and he gets tired and decides that uh, he wants to sleep a bit. So he wants his wife to drive. So he pulls the car over and it's just coming on dusk in the evening. He pulls off to the side and he, he gets out of the car and uh, that was with the big bench seat at the time and she slid across to slide into the driver's seat. He goes to the back seat, opens the back door and then thinks, no, I'm gonna get around, I'm gonna get in on the other side. And he slams the door and as he's going around, she takes off. <laughs> Six hours later, she shows up, you know, and if you know anything about the desert, like it's stifling hot in the daytime, but it's freezing in the evening. And he's like walking out in the middle of nowhere, scared to death, uh, just losing hope by the moment. And she travels three hours in one direction before she realizes that she doesn't, uh, she doesn't have him on board and comes back. And I, it must have been awesome to see, see that car turn around and realize it was her. I tell you that little story today because I want to talk to you about the state of your soul and there's something about trying to get inside of what uh, Pastor Crabtree must have been feeling that night in the middle of the desert you know just kind of walking and walking and walking and wondering if he was ever going to find hope uh, and I want to dig into some scriptures today and and talk with you about the state of your soul the, the uh, folks have some Bibles if you're here and you don't have one and we're going to be in several passages I know you've been digging into Genesis but we're going to be jumping around a bit today and I want to I want to talk to those of you that might be here that can get into that feeling today about what it what it feels like to to uh, be experiencing a sense that everything good in your life has just kind of driven off into the night and you feel alone and you feel frightened and you wonder if you're gonna make it and you you're, you're ready for this nightmare to be over uh, I want to talk to you about disillusionment. And disillusioned people are people who have experienced things in their life that have compromised their ability to believe or their ability to trust. They've been burned, really. They, they've been left out in the cold. Maybe they've been burned by their family. Maybe they've been burned by their church, by society, by life. The worst of it all is when you feel like you've been burned by God. And gradually, people who are disillusioned, they pay the price for that feeling. The, the experiences they've had, the feelings that that, that that has generated, eventually, they get to the point where it's almost like their ability to receive the good news of the gospel just kind of begins to shut down. The way in which they've 
processed or failed to process the things that have happened to them have kind of put them in a, in a state of feeling like they're alone in the desert, freezing and wondering if anybody cares. Do you remember hearing about the little girl in, uh, in Edmonton? It's been a few years ago now, but it was a big story in Canada. This little girl gets up in the middle of the night and she opens the door of their house. It's in the wintertime and she walks out into the snow and a few hours later her mom wakes up and realizes the little girl's gone. She sees the front door open, she sees the footsteps in the snow and fears the worst and she goes out there and finds the little girl and the little girl is frozen cold, she's lifeless and they call the paramedics and they, they rush in there and they get her and the, the amazing story has a happy ending because when they finally got a hold of her and got her to the hospital, they were able to, to revive her. And, and I tell you that little tale because I, I kind of feel like there's at least one person here who's hearing my voice today that, that, that has this feeling that, that the cold night of your soul has left you in a frozen state and kind of emotionally and spiritually, you just kind of, you, you kind of are, are locked up. And I have a word of hope for you today. I, I hope that you're going to feel when you hear the things that I have to say today, I hope you're going to feel that, that God prepared what I was feeling led to talk about today, that he prepared it just for you because of the, the desert you've been walking through. I believe the Holy Spirit kind of orchestrates all that. That's part of the magic of the body. You know, he kind of speaks into my life to kind of move in a way that coordinates with what's going on in your world and your life and God has an amazing way of doing that. If I said to you the verse Proverbs 29:18, you might not it might not mean anything to you, but if I quote the verse and say where there is no vision, people perish, you're familiar with that one. And I don't know where it is that you are that you wish you were not today, but I do know this about you if you feel hopeless and disillusioned, I know that you are a person who's lost your vision. You, you've let go of your ability to think about a better day. Whatever's happened in your life has got you in a state where, where you, you, you see kind of nothing to hang your hope upon. I was thinking driving down in the car today that that, that really was the state of the entire world while they were waiting for Christ to appear. The scripture says that like it was 400 years from the time of the prophets to the advent of Christ's coming and, and there had been no word from God for 400 years. You might feel like it feels like 400 years since you've heard a word from God and you felt like God actually cared about what was going on in your life. Difficult times and events seem to have conspired against you. You just look at what's going on and you think like, how could all of this happen to one person? And, and the comforting sense of God's presence feels like a, a mystery. You kind of feel like your heart has flatlined in the process. And when people get to that point, and people do get to that point, when they get there, it, it, it's this kind of sense of disorientation. It's like a ship that's lost its compass. I crossed yesterday from Graham and Anne, and when we left the island, I was sitting on the back of the Graham and Anne adventure, and I could see swallowtail light there, and it was a, just a gorgeous day. I was thinking, man, we picked the perfect day to cross. It was flat, calm, and, and, and a clear blue sky, and I was sitting out there and thinking about how awesome it was, and it just seemed like I just kind of turned around, and all of a sudden, 
Swallowtail had disappeared, and I looked around and tried to look ahead, and like out of nowhere in the midst of this gorgeous day, the fog kind of came in there and obscured everything. That's what people feel like when they're disillusioned. And when a follower of Jesus is in a healthy place, when you're in a good place, you don't have this kind of undue fear of the future. When you're where God wants you to be and, and, and you kind of are on top of things, you have this kind of built-in sense of confidence that, that the God who helped you in the past is up to the task of dealing with whatever comes your way tomorrow. But when you're in disillusionment, when the things have kind of built up and they've taken their toll on your soul and you, you really are kind of frozen up in the process. You feel like you're in the desert in the night. When that's happening in your life, you, you, you lose that sense of confidence in what God can do and is able to do in your life. You're kind of living under the circumstances. You might not recognize the name George Whitfield. He was an 18th century preacher. And he said this. This is the phrase that grabbed my attention. He said, Christians who have a difficult time uh, Christians who have a hard time facing difficulty have what he called, listen to this, an unplowed heart. He, he refers to these people, and this is the quote. He said, these people are happy, 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 and never were miserable. Why? Because their stony ground was never plowed up. He goes on and says that he's cautious now which he was not earlier in his ministry, of dubbing converts too soon. Now I wait a little and see if people bring forth fruit, for there are so many blossoms which March winds blow away that I cannot believe that they are converts till I see the fruit brought forth. I get what he's saying about, you know, new converts and needing to grow and bearing fruit. I, I, I catch that. But I think he's also inferring that until a person has been deeply tested by some hard times in their life, testing that cuts to the marrow of their spiritual life, I, I think to some degree they have not yet discovered the real quality of their faith. And it's true, you know. I, mean, I guess it's not just true for Christian people. It's probably true for everybody that, that tough times in a person's life are integral to them developing character in their life. And it's certainly a part of what of what I believe God is wanting to do. Pastor Brent quoted that verse about the, you know, the roots growing down deep. Uh, Ephesians puts that in the terms of, of letting your roots grow deep into the soil of God's love. And it's, it's those tough times that enable, that kind of force that to happen. And I want to say that, that I think that Scripture points to the fact that even the desert, painful, tough, disillusioning, disappointing experiences of your life are a part of how God enables you to become the person he envisions you to be. The Apostle Paul spoke of this. This is, a, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, this wouldn't be, I wouldn't like to get a letter like this from anybody, let alone Paul, but this is what he said in verse 9 of chapter 7. He said, now I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended and weren't harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I mean, that, that godly sorrow thing and that worldly sorrow thing. It, it's pretty important, I think, that you process your disillusionment in a godly way, whatever that means, you know. 
Somebody said that if you've never tasted the, the bitter, you've never really learned to taste the sweet. And, and that's true, certainly, of life. And I, I want to contend with you today, if you're kind of that person that, that this message is for, I want to contend with you. I want to try to persuade you today uh, that the, the very thing that you're experiencing, the very desert that you're walking through, is, a, is, a, is in every way a part of what God is trying to equip you to, to have and to be in the future, in the days of he- ahead. Maybe he's equipping you and building that into your life, not for you, but for someone else that he's going to be able to bless and help out of what you've experienced in, in your life. It seems like this, this uh, disillusionment thing, this being in pain, this being in a bad spot, this feeling like you are spiritually frozen, it becomes kind of a waiting game. You know, you just kind of feel like, okay, God, like when is this going to end? Or when is something going to happen? Or when are you going to speak? Or when are you going to show up? Like how long? It's, it's, it's enough time already. You are waiting. And God, I believe, in the waiting times of our life is doing something very, very powerful. I think probably the scripture that, and it's no new scripture to you, it's in, it's in uh, Luke chapter 7. Jesus is at the height of his popularity, you know. He, he, uh, he uh, uh, is performing all these incredible miracles. It's in Luke chapter 7 that he heals the centurion's uh, servant. And uh, in response to the faith of the centurion, this, this, this miracle. And then he comes upon a funeral. You check it out in Luke chapter 7. And the funeral troop is coming along and Jesus is coming the other way. And this lady is despondent and, of course, grieving over the loss of her son. And Jesus, uh, Jesus heals, raises this son back to life, and all these amazing things are going, along, going on. And, and in the midst of all that, John the Baptist is in prison, Scripture says. And he sends a message to Jesus and to Jesus' followers, and, and he, he puts it this way in, in verse 18 of chapter 7. The question John the Baptist asked Jesus is, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? I mean, you just kind of catch that for a minute, you know. It's all happening out here. John's been a part of, of telling it was coming and setting Jesus up for all that's going on. And now John is in prison and he's missing out on all the action, wondering while he's waiting if Jesus even cares what's going on in his life. And I think what's happening is, yes, even John the Baptist, the big guy, you know, he is at a point where he's wondering, was he right about all this? Is Jesus really the person he thought he was? I think this is fantastic insight that the eyewitnesses give of John having this kind of doubt in his life. I I believe what you're seeing here is, is, is the, the reflection of the honest doubts of a spiritual giant, John the Baptist. Are you really the one who we thought was going to come and make all the wrongs right, Jesus, or have we pinned our hopes on the wrong guy? And at some point in your life, if you've lived through disillusionment, you've asked that same kind of question. Was I wrong about you, Jesus? I mean, can you imagine a guy like this? Like this is John the Baptist, not afraid of anybody, stand up to the mob. I mean, this guy is amazing. And and yet he's 
he's, he's living under the weight of this sense of, of coldness and frozenness, wondering if God has left him out of the plan. They, they say, you know, that, that the human spirit can handle a lot of stuff if things make sense. You know, I, I, watched, uh, I watched the movie Mandela just in the last month or so. And the story of, you know, him, him being in prison all those years. And, and the, the sense of purpose and hope that he had. And how he, how he kept on, you know, in the midst of that. I mean, here, you, you think about, you see Mandela with uh, the, 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 the positions he, he's held in our world as we've known him. And then in the movie, you see him, he's out there in the prison yard breaking up stones, you know. They claim that, that if a person, if, if things make sense to a person, that you can persevere through amazing things. But if you lose a sense of purpose, if things quit making sense to you, if you just kind of feel like you're going through the motions and none of what you believed or hoped or had, 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 had built your life around, none of it is making sense. Like if, if God loves me so much, how can he allow this to be happening to me? It's almost like you see those movies of the Navy SEALs and they're on the beach and you know they're, they're carrying the logs and they're going through all the stuff that they put them through and there's the bell right there on the beach and all the young recruit has to do is get out of the water and run up the beach and ring the bell and he's out of there. And when you're going through that, that stuff in your life and you're feeling like you are under so much, so much pressure for your faith in your time of disillusionment, you're tempted to ring the bell and Jesus says back to John, look, John, you know, here's the message he sends back. You know, the lame, the lame are being healed and the deaf can hear and the word of God is growing and flourishing and moving ahead. It's like he said, John... Just because in your corner of life you may not think things are happening, don't assume that, that the purposes of God aren't being worked out in, in the big picture. The plan is unfolding. It's like the first few words of Rick Warren's best-selling book, and he says, it's not about, you know, it's not about you. It's not about me. Sometimes in our disillusionment, Excuse me. We can feel that that it, that it is about us. So let me ask you a couple of questions. And the first one is this: What disillusionment do you have with God today? What what what, what disillusionments do you have? What do you what do you feel that He owes you? What in your life are you expecting? Uh, where in your life are you expecting one thing from God and getting another? And, and I want to kind of follow that by suggesting that perhaps your personal disillusionment is not a bad thing. I mean, what is disillusionment? It's the loss of what? An illusion, right? Like, like part of the problem that, that disillusionment feels so rotten is it's the loss of what we had believed to be true. What, you know, the kind of, this is how we set our world up. This is how we saw stuff. And now... I'm not, I'm not seeing it that way. Perhaps, perhaps God doesn't always act in the manner that we think he should. And perhaps we struggle with disillusionment because we've been living an illusion. Maybe we've been mentally imagining a God who is one way when in fact, maybe he's not quite that way. So the second question is this, and, and this question motivates me this morning today, and it's this, is it possible for strong, committed, dedicated Christians to face disillusionment? And I think the answer is yes. 
I think it's possible for people that, 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 have, that have really grown and matured in their faith and hung on to God and, 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 and let God work in their life and they love him and they followed him. I think it's possible to, to get so pressed down and so troubled and so filled with angst to, to, to get to the place where they wonder if they're going to make it. I mean, the scripture's full of these illustrations. Job probably has already come to mind for you. The scripture says he was perfect and he was upright and he feared God and he hated evil and yet he becomes the epitome of someone that kind of, you know, faces the worst of everything. Chapter 7, Job says this. this. This is how bad it got. He said, I'll not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I'll complain in the bitterness of my soul. I despise life and, 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 and you just need to let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I've sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? I mean, that's his words, right? I mean, he, he had had it. You say, they don't sound like the words of a spiritual giant to me. But they are. And then to make matters worse, Job's friends show up and they got all these easy answers, right? They got all the spiritual, they, they're the people that are walking through it and it isn't happening to them. And they just can, can, they can kind of peel off the, you know, if you, if you, Job, if you just trusted God more, Job, if you didn't have sin in your life, Job, if you just quoted this verse, Job, if you just understand this, if you just knew this, if you just believed this. I remember a, a skit years ago that, uh, that Lindy Nice did here, and Lindy was sitting at a coffee table, and she had a cup of coffee, and she's starting her time alone with God, and she looks up at God, and she says, God, my life was a lot less complicated before you came along. Because, boy, when, when things aren't going right, and then you think, like, okay, God, what's up with this? Like, how does this, how do I, how do I reconcile this? That's what was going on in Job's life. And then there was Jeremiah. He was the prophet that everybody said he was the fearless one. When Jeremiah spoke, everybody shivered. And yet Jeremiah in chapter 20 said this, about his despondency, God allowed him to experience a depth of, of despondency that few people get to. He said, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him glad, saying, a child is born to you. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? And Jeremiah was so blitzed by it that he actually said, I will never speak the name of God again. Disillusionment. There's Elijah. He's the miracle man, right? All kinds of amazing things brought a kid back to death. Stood before the king and said, "It's not going to rain till I say it is." You know, he just like he brought he brought the nation to its knees. He he outran the chariots when he was old. You know, he said he, you know, he calls down the fire of God and says, "Before we do it, just pour a couple of you know, pour a dozen barrels of water on that, and, and let's see what God can do." I mean, this is what he did, and yet you know the story that after all these amazing things, he ends up in great despondency. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, really, is is in Second Corinthians chapter one, and it's this glimpse into the the life of the Apostle Paul. And, and here is like feisty, courageous, bold, amazing 
in your face. I'm not backing up for anything, Paul. And, and he gets to the point where it looks as though he is unable to deal with what's going on in his life. He, 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 he's questioning God. He's in a time of disillusionment. This is verse 8 of chapter 1 of First Corinthians. Of, of, uh, of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, he's talking about what was going on in his life, he said, we don't, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia, he's on a missionary trip, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself, you can look that passage over a little bit, you know, so, their scholars say, well, Paul was experiencing physical difficulties and stuff. When I've read that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I've always had this sense that, that Paul was, was feeling so badly about what, the, what, was, what he was facing in his life. And when he says he had despaired even of life itself, I believe he was suicidal. He was in such a bad place. He was filled with so many questions he was at such a state of despair that he felt he could not go on. There's some beautiful verses following that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you need to look at if, 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 that, if those words grab you tonight because, because Paul did have it figured out. David Wilkerson, I heard him. Do you know David Wilkerson? He wrote The Cross of the Switchblade. He's the guy who goes into New York City and stands up to the gang culture and, and, and builds this great church in, 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 in the city. I, I, I read of him uh, speaking at a crusade with thousands of people and he's sitting on the front seat there like, like they used to do where the, the pastors would sit in these chairs and the crowd would be there and the music was happening and, and he says that, that this voice of accusation came to him and it was saying to him, what in the world are you doing here? You are nothing but a fake. You have nothing to say to these people. You shouldn't be standing up here. You cannot preach to this crowd tonight. You're a fake and a fraud. He said he was sitting there and he was just overwhelmed with this attack. And it was so bad that he gets up to start his message. He says a word or two and he defers to one of his associates and he leaves the crusade and he goes into a time of depression and despondency. And I tell you these stories, you know, thinking, well, this is kind of a depressing kind of a depressing message. I'm telling you this to, to try to, to convey to you that even the giants of the faith are people that have struggled with these kinds of, of issues. And, 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 and the enemy, the Bible says the enemy, this is how the Bible describes what the enemy can do. He comes in like a flood. And we know about flooding around here, don't we? Like when you least expect it. I didn't see this coming. River wasn't rising when I went to bed, right? And, and, and he, can, he can just, he can come at you with this rising tide of despair and despondency and doubt and disillusionment and you can feel like you are drowning in the midst of it. And I, I have no simple answers for you with this message, but I, I am going to make four quick suggestions to you if you're listening to me today and you're thinking you know you're describing pretty well kind of what I'm feeling like maybe my you know my wife might know know this my husband might know this my kids might know it my pastor doesn't know it but I'm kind of feeling that way I I have just four quick suggestions 
for you. You might have some Job's comforters that are religious people around you giving you a bunch of simplistic solutions or explanations. And uh, I don't want to be one of them because, frankly, I have enough trouble figuring my own stuff out without figuring out yours. But I, I do have to say that after facing some tough times myself and struggling with some of these feelings personally and knowing what disillusionment feels like and discouragement feels like, I do think I can make a few suggestions to you. And, and here's the first one is this. Don't be freaked out by thinking that what you are feeling is unique to you. Like, don't let that mess you up. If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've tried to serve God and love God and do what you knew to do and you're just doing your best and all of a sudden your world is just crashing around you, like, don't, don't lose any sleep by thinking that God has singled you out for pain, that what's going on in your life is unique to you, you know, because you're in good company if your life is in a mess. You are in good company if you feel like you are in over your spiritual head and, and, and wonder if you can survive. Uh, the Apostle Peter described it this way. He said, friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And he goes on and says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I think what he was saying is, hey, this is part of the deal. Like, this is part of what happens in your life. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing going on wrong in your life when you feel like your back is against the wall and you're unsure where God is or what he's up to. So don't be freaked out by thinking that what you're feeling is unique. Secondly, these, will be, these are quick here, I'm almost done. In, secondly, in the midst of your discouragement and disillusionment, stay the course. You know, I almost wanted to write, like, don't do something stupid. When, when you're feeling this way, like, and, and I'm, like, I feel like this word is, is for, is for seasoned people. This is for, these, this is not for, like, a brand new, this is not a word for a new convert. I mean, your time's coming. You're going to find out how tough it is, right? But, but, but I feel like this is a word for someone who, who feel, you feel like you've paid your dues and, and you've done what you should and you've done all the things, you know, your best, and yet it's not, it's not happening. In the midst of your disillusionment, stay the course. Don't do something stupid. Just, well, like Ephesians says it, doesn't it? It says, put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes that you can stand your ground, and after you've done all, do what? Stand, right? There's a point there in this whole deal where you don't have any answers, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, you don't know if you're going to make it, you don't understand, but you can stand. You can, you can, you can stay there like that tree planted by the water and, and, and just hang in there and wait patiently for the, deliver, the deliverance of God in your life. Number three, resist the temptation to drop out of your spiritual routine or your Christian relationships. This is huge. I mean, this is, this is this spiritual warfare stuff here. Like, you know, I don't know what God's up to when tough times are overcoming you in your life, but I know what the enemy's up to. I mean, he's wanting you to check out. He's wanting you to, 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 to distrust God. He's wanting you to, 
to give up on all the things, all the, all the seed you've sown. He's wanting you to step back from your faith and, and pull back. You know, it, it's, it's kind of predictable what happens when you, when you hit the wall and that you kind of, you start, you start insulating yourself from things. You know, your spouse tries to talk to you. How are you, what's, what's wrong? How are you doing? Your friends try to get a, get a hold of you. They, they, they ask, you know, you can tell they're inquiring about what's going on in your life. You don't, you don't look like you're doing so well. And you kind of have this, you, you begin to insulate yourself from, from what, whatever may be coming your way. And you start isolating yourself from the things that could help you and encourage you. And, and you, 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 you decide, you know, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to come to worship service. And, and, and the team gets up and they begin to sing and they begin to pray. And something inside of you just kind of recoils. You think like, how can, I be, how can I be praising God the way I'm feeling? Something almost physically recoils in you sometimes in the midst of that. And, and you begin to resist the things that really could be good for you. You begin to withdraw socially. You don't want to be around people who aren't experiencing the same kind of feelings. and You feel like they don't understand you. You, you think, I, I, this is a time I need to go it alone, and I'm going to go it without God. And you quit going to Bible study, and you, you quit engaging people in, at church in conversation, and you, you inadvertently cut yourself off from the very thing that can give you the help. And I want to say to you today, if you're feeling disillusioned, uh, do not cut off your connection with the body of Christ and with brothers and sisters who, who, who love you. and They're the very people who can breathe the presence of God into you. And, and number four is this, don't ignore the life raft. Because there will be one. There will be, there will be a moment when God throws you a life raft. I don't know what it will be. I don't know where it will be. I don't know how it will be. It might be the most miraculous intervention of God that you ever see. But if you're watching for it, if you're waiting for it, God will very tangibly reach out to you. You, you know the crazy little story about the guy that's, you know, he's on his roof, the flood has come, and the guy's the, you know, the, the uh, guy comes up with the tractor and says, hey, jump on my tractor, I can get you out of here. And he says, no, no, God's going to help me. And then the waters keep rising, and then the guy with the boat comes along and says, hey, get in the boat. We're, you know, we're going to get you out of here. No, no, God's going to help me. And water keeps rising, and he's up on the roof, and a helicopter comes along, and they pull the basket down. They're going to help him, you know. And No, no, God's going to help me. And he gets to heaven and says, God, you know, how, why did you abandon me? Well, I didn't abandon you. I sent a tractor, and I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm saying is, there will be something that will come your way. It'll be in the word. It'll be in a prayer. It'll be in some kind of a miraculous uh, message you receive from someone or a hug from someone or a song you hear or a movie you watch or a book you read. or a ver There'll be something where God will make it known to you that he's reaching out to you and, and that he hasn't forgotten you and that he's going to bring you through this. I love Psalm 18. It's, it's like David, and David knew all this stuff, but here's what David said in Psalm 18. He was coming out the other side of it and, and recognizing that God was faithful. He said, the Lord is my rock. Listen to these words. My fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield 
the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord and I cried to God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came before him into his ears. Look at this. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Yet you, Lord, you keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into life. That's the, that's the song of someone who has come through the dark night of the soul and their faith has persevered, and God has, you know, brought them, you know, the poem footprints, you know, like, God, I look back, and, you know, there was only one set of footprints. God said, that's when I was carrying you, my child, right? That's what that period is called, and the best place to start if you're in disillusionment is to admit it, and the Bible has a word for that. It's called confession. You need to confess to God or to someone else who you trust who can pray for you, what's going on in your life and, and call out to God. And maybe this message has just kind of helped to clarify things. Maybe it's allowed you to look back and realize, you know, to, 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 to identify your story. And, and maybe it's clarified the fact that you're ready for the Spirit of God to breathe some new life into your bones, you know? That, that you, you, you realize how desperately you've been missing what you had experienced before and, and, and you're ready for that strength to pour in. My, my life verse is 2 Corinthians 4, 16. And it says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Right? They don't feel like they're light. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is, un, is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're going to sing. I, I want to tell you one little story. I heard my friend Steve Elliott tell this recently. And I, I've been a friend of Steve most of my life, but I'd never, I had never heard this story. He, uh, he said he was in the hospital with his little girl, and uh, I don't know what was wrong with her, but she needed a procedure that was very painful and frightening. And Steve was talking about the moment where he took his little girl and passed the little girl over to the technician or to the doctor, and the little girl was just going crazy. She was just frantic and crying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And... And, you know, Steve's tried, dear, you're going to be all right. Tried to comfort her. You know, daddy's right here. You're going to be fine. Daddy, daddy, daddy. She's just beside herself. And, and, and the doctor's trying to get ready to do this procedure. And the little girl's getting more afraid and more afraid. And then the little girl says, says, daddy, daddy, please, please, I'd be good. I'd be good. Daddy, I'd be good. You know, like she's trying to do everything she can to, in her mind, figure out why would her father let her face this he's right there you you know you can you can take me you're, you're right there why are you leaving me in this situation steve was talking about the angst of heart he was feeling of of knowing that that he could grab her and comfort her and help her but he knew as her father that she needed 
to undergo what she was facing. This needed to happen in her life. And I thought when I heard him say that, man, what a picture of our Heavenly Father who sometimes we think is turning his back on us or he doesn't even know what's happening and all the while he's loving us. He's right there and, and we have got to trust him enough to, to walk through that valley, that deep water, whatever it is that we're facing and, and in the midst of it, not lose our faith in the God who is right there with us. Will you receive that word today if you... If you've been wading through that kind of stuff, I want to pray for you before we go, especially for, for you who might say, you know, that's kind of me. It, it, would anybody just kind of wave at me and say, you know, that is kind of me. That, that's kind of, I, I know what those feelings are all about. Anybody out there would say that today? A bunch of you. Lord, I just pray for, for these people. There, there, are probably, there are probably dozens that are hearing my voice now that that know exactly what these emotions feel like. And, and the enemy would want to tell them that they are abandoned and forgotten and, and what they believed about God is not true. And today, Lord, I just pray that you would just pour out a, a strong sense of awareness that you know the way they take and you have not abandoned them and you understand what they're feeling and you care about what's going on in their life. And that in the midst of what may be the most difficult experience of their life, you're wanting them to trust you and hang on to you and believe you. Lord, I pray for some breakthrough for some people. There are probably people uh, who raise their hand in the midst of this that are right on the verge of this massive answer from God. If the very thing they're needing, God's ready to pour out upon them. Lord, let them keep trusting. Lord, I pray for for courage and grace and stamina and, and belief, Lord, that, the, that, their, that their bedrock faith in God would grow deep down into the soil of God's love, that those roots would just be so deep that no storm can topple them, Lord. I pray that for them today. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of what the enemy would want to turn into the worst of their life, that we serve a God who wants to use it for good, and you do it, you specialize in it. You do it masterfully and beautifully. And today, Lord, whether we're looking at the tough times of our life in the rearview mirror of our faith or whether we're, we're staring at full in the front, Lord, whether it's right upon us, Lord, wherever we may be, give us the faith of the great men and women of, of, of the Christian faith who knew what it was to hunker down and trust God and hang on to him, Lord. You're our hope. You are the rock of our salvation. And we rejoice in your love and your mercy upon us today. We receive this as your word today, Lord, with thanksgiving. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's stand, can we, as we sing?